If you're sick of the BS when it comes to health, fitness, life advice, you've come to the right place. Welcome to GT Radio. I'm your host, Tara Nettles, alongside my co-host, Gillis Pellegrin. Both of us are nutritional coaches in the industry, and we thrive off of educating others. So if you're here to make some brain gains, sit back, relax, and let's get straight to the facts. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of GT Radio. So we haven't dropped a podcast in like a week. A week. Yeah. Um, we're doing better than we were before. It's not a month. It's not a month. So we went in over here. But I just want to open up this podcast with a little bitch session. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> so, man, my like I'm not bitching about anything like bad. Um, well, it is bad depending on who, how you look at it. But man, like my sleep has just been jacked up, like jacked up. Um, I've Why been, is that? Well, why do you think that is? Well, that's what I'm getting to. <laughs> um, so I uh, like I've been in a caloric deficit for like seven, eight weeks now. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first started, like it was like everything was fine. Sleep was good. You know, no. No issues there, um, but then I decided I started to dabble into Yohembin, and I think that's what <laughs> fucked me um, because like Yohembin's it's good, right? I will say it's good, like especially for for females and targeting um, specific uh, like specific fat cells like in the lower body. Like that's why I took it because I tend to hold like more body fat in my lower body. You know, um, always have, always will be, or always will, because that's just kind of like a genetic thing for me. Um, and it got my legs a little bit linker, leaner. Linker? Linker. I'm rolling off of like piss poor sleep right now. Um, so it got my legs a little bit leaner, but man, it came at a sacrifice. Now, I did take Yohembean before in the past, like in contest prep, and I don't recall having like the sleep issues or the insomnia that I have now mm-hmm. that I did then, but I was younger then too. So obviously I know like, you know, age and oh, that bullshit. Um, yeah. So anyway, like my sleep has just been trash, hot trash. Cause like what, what I like, what's happening with me is, well, before all this, I was sleeping so good, man in bed, 8.30, slept all through the night, woke up at like 6.30, wide awake, ready to go, bushy tail, happy, all the things. But man, like lately it's like I can't get my body to go to sleep at the regular time, like for my circadian rhythm. And I, uh, on top of that, I, uh, I forget what I was saying. Hold on. Let me back it up. <laughs> Shit, man. See, this is, this is why y'all need to sleep out there, Okay. Um, but no, like my body was really good. It was on like a really, a really good circadian rhythm. Um, I'm, you know, going to bed when I'm supposed to go to bed. Um, by eight 30, I was in bed, I was out and then man started messing with that. Yo, Hembean, <sighs> man, I can't like, I'll go to bed at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And then you wake up at 2 a.m. Yeah, and then I wake up at 2 a.m., wide awake, and I'm like, huh. Like last night, I woke up at 2 a.m., wide awake, and I'm like, what? And I was I was honestly debating on starting my day at 2 a.m. Sometimes that's what you got to do. I've done that before. Like I woke up at like, I would wake up at like 2.30, couldn't fall back asleep. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to work. But I was just like, man, I'm not waking up at like 2 a.m., to go to work because now my whole Sunday will be completely fucked because come like 9 a.m., which what it is now, I'll be dead ass tired because that's like almost like an eight hour day I just put in. Yeah. Not exactly eight hours, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been on the struggle bus with that lately. So yeah. that's that's that. Yeah. You've been on the struggle bus with your sleep? My sleep is always on the struggle bus. You are it's a been... struggle bus. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> 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 you are. <laughs> it's because you sit on my struggle bus. You cause my struggle bus, man. But anyways, no, my sleep's always been a problem. My whole life, it's been yeah. a problem. Well, also, I don't know if you've ever shared this. Like, you have um a a pineal cyst. Yeah, a long time ago I've shared it, but yeah, it's been a long time since I've talked about it. You know, I really, I don't really get checked 
anymore. But when I first found out, which that was back in 20, was it 2018, I think. That's when I found it. When and they that, found it, I guess. And that can disrupt sleep. Well, yeah, can, when you think that of can play into your sleep. Yeah, when you think of the pineal cyst it's, or, or the pineal gland itself is it's in what, the it's in the brain. So we just got to share that in case people are like what what is that? Yeah, it's in the brain, and that's what basically improves your or secretes your melatonin for you to go to sleep. Right, and melatonin is really important for your. Uh, it's a strong antioxidant too for your immune system, and so. The more you kind of, I dove into that, the more I realized that some of the things that I have going on, not only with just sleep, but just with the immune system makes Mm -hmm. it, it all makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I felt, I always kind of felt problematic with sleep my whole life, even as a kid. I feel like for as long as I've known you, your sleep has been trash. Always. Yeah. Always been trash. Yeah. I mean, there's times where. I just like what you said, it's kind of interesting. So sometimes mine comes in and, and I know the podcast is definitely not about this, but we're going to. No, but it ties, it can tie into this. Yeah, maybe Technically it can. it can. Yeah. If we're talking about adrenals and mm-hmm. DHEA. And cortisol. And, and stuff cortisol. Like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, when you think about it, like you talk about like you're going to bed later and you're waking up out of nowhere. For me, a lot of times, depending on like stress response, I can't fall asleep. And then by four o'clock in the morning, whenever I've been trying to fall asleep since nine o'clock the night before, I'm like, fuck it, man. I'm just going to get up and work. And so sometimes I'll just wake, I'll I'll just never fall asleep and I'll be up for like 36 hours straight and I just have a normal work day. And then even then I go to bed the next day thinking like, man, I've been up for 36 hours straight. I'm going to sleep good tonight. Nine, 10 o'clock comes. Sometimes I'm still not as tired as I thought I should be. So basically what you're saying is is that if any of your clients are listening, y'all better be nice. Y'all better not be <laughs> y'all better not be playing no games. So don't be sending me no Don't be sending no bullshit. No bullshit when I'm trying to go to bed, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but you shouldn't I mean, you shouldn't have your emails on your phone. Well, I know, and that's what I was gonna say. It's all that's like that's the biggest thing. Because that's where I like I mess up too. Like yeah. I have my emails on my phone and then man, like you know when you just get hit with like that one email like mm-hmm. from a client where you're like, oh, I shouldn't check this, but I want to check it. Yeah. And then you read it and it's just like a a punch in the face. Sunday nights um, are the worst for me with that. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Well, my check-ins are on Mondays. And so like if I see like an email come through from like a certain person and I'm like, I've been kind of like thinking about them all week because, you know, shit happens, life happens, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you read the email and you're like, oh, shit. I'm going to have to put this fire out on Monday. And then, like, you're up, like, well, then that shit would worry me. Like, I'd be Same. up, like, most of the night thinking about this. And then I got pissed off because I checked my fucking email. And yeah. I'm like, oh. Like, it's just, like, you know, like, the well, that's dread where you is go, coming. Yeah, well, that's where you go back and forth with yourself. And you and just kind of, like, you're, like, you see it. And you immediately want to, you know that it's going to bother you. So you immediately want to, like, put the fire out right there but then the other side of you is like well if i answer to the damn email at 11 o'clock at night you're breaking those boundaries yeah i break the boundaries and now they think they have that kind of un you know there like is no boundary access yeah to you exactly yeah. so that's what makes it hard just as a coach it makes yeah. it hard to really want to not deal with that type of stuff or at least deal with it within the boundaries that you try to set for yourself but those boundaries are sometimes hard yeah, so if you're listening in and if you have a coach, give them some fucking grace, man. Like, look, we're not superhuman. Like, we're human just like you guys. You know, we have boundaries. Like, being a coach is an awesome job. I'll say that. I do love it. But it, is a, it can be a really hard job because mm-hmm. it just never stops. And so it's like when you have people out there giving you a hard fucking time, like, you can't just be like, you know what? Fuck you. Well, you could. But, you know, that's not professional. Um, but, you know, you can't just be like that. Yeah. You know, you you honestly have to take a big step back and you got to, like, think about it before you respond. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, like, it can just bother you and you can just, it can care, like, you carry it with you throughout the day. You know, it's not just something like you shake off. Yeah. You know, like, I know I recently had, like, something kind of along those lines happen to me, like, a few weeks ago. And I'm like, what? And like, it just, it rattles your soul. It, 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 it hurts. Mm-hmm. And like, I just wish more people would understand that. Like, look, man, 
when you're hiring a coach, you're hiring another human being. Like, yeah. I understand people have questions and I encourage people to reach out and all this and all that. But man, don't be blowing them up because you just don't, you just, you don't know the behind the scenes. Well, I think a lot of it needs, and this could be a whole another podcast. <laughs> well, we're so, about to dive into this topic here. But I think that a lot of people hire coaches out of desperation and well they're in their feelings like at well, that moment yeah i think you should like and i know this is easier said than done but i think when really kind of um approaching you know a company for services i think it needs to be to the point where you're kind of detached emotionally as much as possible so that way you can have some level of clarity mm-hmm. of what you're asking from that type of service or you know what i mean like it's hard to explain, but it's one of those things where it's like you get a lot that are really kind of acting out of desperation because they feel so terrible or they're not feeling their best or they're really wanting to just kind of they've had so many failures at their health goals. Right. And so they're essentially kind of seeking help in, in a very emotionally driven side of things. And what ends up happening a lot of times is that they're never accountable to themselves, which is you have to take that self-reflection and look in the mirror. But first of all, you got to ask yourself, why did you fail so many times in the first place? Mm-hmm. And what have you learned from your failures too mm-hmm. before seeking out the coach? Because oftentimes, if you're not really self-reflecting in, in really taking your own ownership of your health in terms of saying, wow, I am probably the reason for all of my failures. And how do I move from that? Because the thing is, is that once you have a coach in your corner to help you, you're going to still fail again if you're not accountable to yourself because now you're accountable to two people instead of one. Ultimately, you got to be accountable to yourself in order to be able to make some level of long-term progress. Yeah. Well, and with, like with that too, like it like also like the person who lives in chaos mm-hmm. because I don't think people understand this. Like when you live in chaos and you work with a coach and you're coming at them in chaos, like it's going to pour onto that coach. And like, like as coaches, we got to be able to decipher. Yeah. We got to be able to filter. We got to be able to cut out the bullshit. Like, um, it because if if we're working in chaos, mm-hmm. that's not good for the client. Well, know? not only that, like, and this is just maybe through my own experiences that, like, I've just noticed that when I do end up getting somebody in my own environment, in my roster, in my ecosystem, whatever the hell you want to call it, and I sense that. I have to hold them accountable. I have to kind of create a very strong boundary and I have to ask those very challenging questions back to them is like, well, I can help you, but what are you going to do for yourself? Because I'm going to, I'm going to be the person that's going to lead you and hold you accountable. But ultimately, if you're coming to me every week with excuses and not solutions to the things that I am putting you on, I am putting a fire under you on for accountability. Like there's nothing that I can do. Yeah. If you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I had this go on, this go on, this go on. Life is going to still fucking go on. Yeah. You have to know how to take that level of accountability for yourself to break that actual cycle that you're always failing with. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay to fail, but if you're going to quit or quit something and try something different every time that shit gets tough, you're going to always find yourself really not being very productive in your health goals. No, you're right. Because, I mean... Because nine, ten, nine times out of ten, the reason why you have health issues mm-hmm. is because of that. Yeah. You know? But yeah. anyway, I don't want to... <laughs> I can get very triggered here. Yeah. Like, I, like, listen, some of you all who've been listening to us for a long time, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Some of you guys who have been following us, well, me... Because Gillis is like a ghost on social media. He'll creep on you, but his ass won't post <laughs> shit. Um, but I do get back to DMs if you do message me. Ooh, I will say that. Ooh, you a bad motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you stupid as hell. <laughs> um, anyway, so where where I was going with this is the like for me, like we we just got to move on from that topic because I I am someone where it's like if I start talking about something and it creates a fire in my soul, I mm. trigger myself. Okay. And like when I trigger myself, it's not good because I don't know if people come here for explicit content because that's what you're gonna get. 
you gotta get well, you gotta get move. hood Taryn, and it ain't gonna be good. And you it's gonna, gonna get hood Taryn, not good Taryn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hood Taryn, not good Taryn. Ooh, I'm gonna start a coaching business called that. Anyways. Hood, hood Taryn, not good Taryn LLC. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. You guys didn't come here to listen to the bullshit. Um. Anyway, so as far as today's topic, what we want to talk about is DHEA, the hormone DHEA, because. I feel like it's one of these things that people don't know enough about. And then when they start dabbling into it and they're like, oh, I'm going to take DHEA. It's going to solve all my problems. But it only makes the problems worse. We need some clarification on this. Um, so we're going to bring to you guys what is what is DHEA? Why is it important? Why should you give a shit? Mm-hmm. What does it do? Who should versus who shouldn't? be taking it because that's that's a big thing and then also the effects that it has on a male versus a female because it's similar but different especially when we're talking about pathways of specific hormones mm-hmm. um so with further ado let's dive on in so i'll let you kick this off um with identifying like first off what yeah. is dhea i mean to put it in simple terms dhea is a hormone that is produced from the adrenal glands that eventually or it converts to testosterone or estrogen that's kind of the most simple term simple way to really describe it and does it play into thyroid yes it can Mm -hmm. there we go now also there's two kinds of dheas can you talk about that like you tell me dheas and then yeah well you got dhea yeah, you have DHEAS, which basically S just mean it has a sulfatase enzyme, which means it's bioavailable for that con- and ready for that conversion. Regular DHA just means it doesn't have that enzyme attached, so it's kind of what they call conjugated DHA, which is basically just serum level that just kind of like circulating hormone doesn't necessarily it's uh it's not yet bioavailable. Yeah. Now a couple things here too, like with with DHEA with testing it on lab panels, I think mm-hmm. it's important that we also talk about like what does it mean when we see low levels? What would we consider quote unquote optimal levels mm-hmm. and high levels? Because I know like with looking at people's labs, like man, you just kind of see a wide variety of, yeah. of things. So first and foremost, let's address and talk about what does it mean when we see low DHEA? Well, first so, off, hold on. First off, what is low DHEA? What would we consider a low DHEA value? It's going to be different for everyone, but typically, just kind of generally speaking, usually anything that's going to be less than like 100, you know, maybe low 100s, like 110, 115, that might be classified as low. Again, that again is very generally speaking because it's going to be different for everyone. But, um, but what what does that necessarily mean when it's low? It could be just low adrenal function. Mm-hmm. You, you have to understand you can't look at adrenals in terms of DHA alone. You have to look at it at cortisol because they have a they have a back and forth relationship, meaning that you know cortisol has to be in a proper ratio to DHEA. Typically, DHEA to cortisol ratio is a five or a six to one ratio, right? So typically, what you want. Uh, and again, even that changes because cortisol is an acute hormone and that's going to vary based off of time of day. So you really can't, you have to, especially in blood work, you know, in blood work when it comes to cortisol. That's why if you're looking at like a good, better, um, like through a better like view, I guess you would say of adrenal function overall, looking at a salivary um like 4.6 adrenal function. point saliva Yeah, test. because you could check cortisol and DHEA in saliva, and those are going to be um, salivary testing, and DHEA is pretty accurate. And you're getting a, a better opportunity to see kind of exactly what's going on with the adrenals from a 24-hour period versus just a one-time data collection that you get in blood. Yeah. So optimal DHEA. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. What would you? What would we consider optimal? Now, again, I know mm-hmm. it varies. I know it varies on like age. Yep. You know, like menopause. Yeah. So things like that. Well, first we have to ask ourselves: What is the side effects, and what do you feel symptom-wise of low or high DHEA? Right. So let's first, because you got to understand that. Because again, yeah. what's optimal is going to be again very 
you know, subjective. Diff- yeah, subjective to the person. So how do you kind of figure that out? Is going to be based off of well, if you have low DHEA, you're going to be feeling more fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a higher possibility of lower um, androgen or estrogenic hormones. And then it also can compromise thyroid, like we mentioned earlier. DHEA in a healthy level helps produce a uh, better overall feel, right? So you feel good. You're more psychologically well-being. And then it also helps for your thyroid conversion, your T4 to T3. And it kind of helps to prevent that T4 going to reverse T3, right? The the more stress or inflammatory indicator that you see from the reverse T3. So DHA helps that. Well, let me just say this really quick because we just kind of got to clear the air here. Like mm-hmm. with low DHEA values or just like adrenals in yep. general, mm-hmm. it is not called adrenal fatigue. Like your adrenals do not become fatigued. It's the the more correct term is adrenal insufficiency. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I just I don't know. I was just kind of I think again, trigger Terry will be triggered. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> and it's funny you say that because when I think of adrenal fatigue, I'm not triggered by the term. I understand it though. Of why it could be saying. caused that. Yeah. You know, um, it's just some people are fucking stupid on social well, media and, and tend to fucking call people out for no reason. But anyways, that's all. Yes. Um, but anyways, like adrenal insufficiency is basically kind of a way of saying that adrenals are not running on all cylinders as where it should be. Right. Exactly. And symptoms are persisted there. Yeah. But in terms of like DHEA, in terms of optimal levels, right? It's essentially um, when you feel good, right? You're recovering good, you know, all of those things. You're not having any side effects that would otherwise cause an imbalance of um, too low would be meaning that you have a chance of um, reduced immune function, right? Or you're putting yourself at a higher risk of lack of resiliency, right? Lack of recoverability, that type of thing. And so... And I want to kind of break it down in terms of like low DHEA, what you feel, and who is who do I typically see that have low DHEA? Mm-hmm. And so when I think about that, you think about like the side effects is like low. Um, there could be potential low problems with sex hormones, you know, uh, compromised thyroid function if it's a problem. Also, immune system issues. Mm-hmm. But then the other side is that when you think of like, well, okay, well, who is higher susceptibility of are oftentimes I see where low DHEA, it's going to be in those menopausal um, females. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a lot of it is because there's no more ovarian reserve in terms of sex hormones. So there's no sex hormone production happening from the ovaries, yeah. right? So when you think of that and you think of things like your estrogen, you think of like your testosterone, majority of your sex hormones are going to be coming from ovulation for a female and so whenever that is no longer the adrenals are going to be taking the brunt of take the reliance yeah, of dhea converting estrogen testosterone yeah they take over about 70 percent like mm-hmm. after like you know menopause yeah so, they take over all, all of the rest yeah and that's why it's important that you know i think well, whether you're whatever age you're at, like mm-hmm. take care of your adrenals. Yeah. Now, I'm just kind of like over here feeling like a fucking hypocrite. Why? Because uh, oh, of the yo hem bean that will straight up fuck you up and have you running on adrenaline. Um, but hey, it's about recoverability, right? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like that's that's the biggest thing. Take care of your adrenals and. Also, like with perimenopausal women, mm-hmm. it's very important that you're taking care of those adrenals and you're not you're you're not addicted to stress. Like mm-hmm. the, you're doing the best you can for sleep. You know, if you have issues sleeping, find out why. Yeah. Run blood work. Look at lifestyle. Are you on your phone? Are you taking your hembine and cracking yourself out like me? <laughs> um, like look at these things. You know, well, it, it's important. And don't overstimulate on the caffeine. Well, I was going to say that's the typical problem because by the time that the woman's transitioned into menopause, at that point, the adrenals are already compromised because typically when the transition happens during perimenopause, that's when the fatigue and the tiredness and the unwanted body composition changes occur. So what essentially happens is that there's more diets implemented. There's more exercise implemented. Just you more know. stress. Yeah, and there's more caffeine implemented too because you're tired all the time. Yeah. And so if you think about all of those lifestyle factors, I think it's important to understand that. And then if you're able to really kind of understand that approach of that part of life, 
you know, you can really kind of recover yourself and you can kind of, um, I guess, slow down the process of just just in general, in terms of adrenal function to kind of go into menopause in a much healthier um situation at least from the yeah. adrenals the, har- the hormones on the sex hormones they're, they're going going to happen either way yeah and, and the you side know effects I, don't have to i think always. i think for women that's the scariest part of their life mm-hmm. is like oh shit like i'm i'm entering into my 40s and the yeah. big thing is perimenopause mm-hmm. and um like women fear it but i just think there's not enough education on how to gracefully go into it yeah you know i think that's the biggest problem and there's a genetic component to that too but i can tell you just from working with certain clients and i can say okay well why was this person really really having some really intense um symptoms and why was this other person didn't have any and a lot of times it's just the way they the actually lifestyle, lifestyle but the way they perceive stress and they're yeah. not overly stressed or more chill more calm people or they do things that's fun mm-hmm. like i you know like yep. i think that's the biggest thing is like people i mean oh, fuck i'm guilty of it like you know you just get so caught up in the day-to-day hustle and bustle that you forget about yourself you forget mm-hmm. about getting out and doing things that are fun because like when you go out and you do things that's actually fun you genuinely enjoy them that's dopamine man like it's dopamine it's driving down your cortisol you know you just have a good time you know but i mean again i feel like a hypocrite because i don't do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's kind of the so if we think about that like right what we just kind of unpacked in terms of thought is like the person that has low dhea and the reason why like that's the demographic i see oftentimes where it's low dhea Mm -hmm. now when you think what about optimal though because i know i feel like we just kind of just hit low on that like just beat it in so optimal is when the symptoms are no longer there like that's whenever you're feeling good and you're doing well like again if we're just looking at a laboratory report and we say okay what number is optimal i don't know i mean it could be between 120 to 220 it just depends yeah really but if you're like let's say if we're looking at it on paper and let's say their numbers are like 215 right Mm -hmm. but they're gaining weight Mm -hmm. they are having hot flashes or night sweats Mm mm-hmm their poor thyroid function mm-hmm. okay then guess what now that 215 is too high for that person so that's where when i say what's optimal it's gonna depend on the person yeah so 215 in that person in that example if they're still symptomatic that's too much yeah it's too high right and the same concept goes for like the 120s or the 115s right on paper that might not be a terrible a terrible thing clinically it's never going that none of those numbers are going to show uh, clinically high mm-hmm. but again if they're still symptomatic they're still having these issues they're still tired and fatigue all the time but their numbers is a 130 on the DHEA yeah um and again you've already checked off the other potential problems that would cause some of those symptoms then you would say, okay, well, maybe this person's adrenal function is not running on all cylinders. That's going to be individualized for them. So I can say like for me, like probably like 170, 180, eh, maybe even 190 mm-hmm. is probably like my optimal. Like yeah. that's where I feel good. You know, um, I mean, surprisingly, even if like for me dieting and just having shit sleep, like mm-hmm. I don't feel terrible. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like, but again, like when we're talking like DHEA and the body, like we also have to understand like one of the biggest things here that just kind of irritates me is how people just kind of make it out like, oh, your body's just, you know, this delicate little flower, like, and it's going to adapt really quick. Um, no, like when you, your body lose that, it loses that resiliency, especially when we're talking like adrenals, it's from just like long term doing mm-hmm. all the wrong things yeah you know it, it doesn't just happen overnight you know yeah like i think of kind of and it's maybe and it's a weird way maybe this would be something that like from a visual perspective i think of kind of like a bell curve of either your optimal potential and then you've overdone it or underdone it right mm-hmm. so like if you think of a bell curve if you've underdone it you're on the left side of that curve if you're in a really good range and you feel good and your symptoms are not there, you're at the very top of the bell curve at the very peak. If you've overdone it because you've kind of felt so good and you're like, wow, I'm going to do more and more and more and I feel great. Okay. And then you start feeling like shit and you start noticing some symptoms. That's when you've surpassed that bell curve where you're not, you're no longer at the peak and you're at the right of that bell curve now where you've kind of overdone it and you're kind of had that exhaustive stage Mm -hmm. where you're, um, 
you're dealing with some uh, compromised things. So, well, which which brings us into high DHEA. So, mm-hmm. when we see high DHEA, what are our thoughts? So, I can tell you mm-hmm. my first thought with that is, well, I got a couple thoughts. First thing is, are you supplementing with DHEA? Yep. How much are you supplementing with? Because mm-hmm. that's another mistake people make. Um, and then also, like, I also think potentially, like, hey, we dealing with PCOS? Yeah. Are you on birth control? Mm-hmm. You know, because that can also be one of the reasons why it's high too. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, and I think this is also times where people can get confused with um, DHEA and overuse of DHEA if, as a supplement, at least, is because like if it's high and you're still symptomatic. Okay, then it makes it a much clearer picture to say, okay, wow, your DHA is too high. But you have to understand that DHA is a pro-hormone, meaning it converts to estrogen or testosterone. Okay, Mm -hmm. and it goes both ways, right? What kind of changes are adjust that is going to be certain enzymes that's going to be more, you know, genetically predisposed on which way it's going to go. The problem is that DHA, you have no control of it's going to go to more testosterone or if it's going to go to more estrogen. You just don't know. And if you're genetically predisposed to being estrogen dominant, the chances of those enzymes being activated that's going to push more DHA to estrogen are higher. Yeah. Well, especially for women. Like when mm-hmm. women, they take it and they're like, oh, I'm taking it for testosterone. Uh, it's not a guarantee that it's going to be driving up your testosterone. It can help a little bit, yep. but I've seen instances where people are just taking way too much, and mm-hmm. guess what it does? It drives up estrogen, and now someone who wasn't estrogen dominant at one point now becomes estrogen dominant because yeah. it's driving up their estrogen. Yep. You know, so like that's like that is also why like when it comes to DHEA, like with supplementing with it, it can't just be something that you just kind of blindly go into. You mm-hmm. honestly need to be looking at labs. You need to be checking these health markers. You need to not just be looking at DHEA. You need to be looking at your estrogens. You need to be looking at estradiol, your uh, your estrone. You need to be looking at liver. You need mm-hmm. to be looking at estrogen metabolism. You need to be looking at your pathways of the liver. You also need to be looking at your progesterone. Yeah. Like, you got to make sure your body is within balance before taking something like that. Yep. You know, that's the biggest thing. And that's what gets women into trouble. When I think, and that's just a problem in our industry nowadays, because everyone's talking about hormones. And then when you think of like what's popularized now, and then it becomes to the point where now you have a population of individuals that are very vulnerable to feel like shit, mm-hmm. right? And then what ends up happening is now you have all these companies that are marketing hormone uh, health optimizers, all of these hormone supplements. And if the company doesn't really know what are the potential consequences, you know, um, because I've seen a lot of companies out there and man, they're I mean, I've seen so many women being put on like 50, 100 milligrams of DHEA. I know we haven't talked much yet about like if you are on DHEA, how much is the adequate amount? But that's a super high amount. Even 100 milligrams for a male is a very high amount. And think about like the 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 woman that feels like complete shit and they hear these, you know, they're hearing or hearing somebody talk about the the benefits of DHEA and then they just go buy a supplement that mm-hmm. has 100 milligrams of DHEA. You know, I think the biggest thing that gets women, because I was just thinking about this, is like, oh, the anti-aging hormone, DHEA. And it can be. No, it absolutely can be. But mm-hmm. I mean, fuck, if you're causing yourself to go estrogen dominant, good mm-hmm. luck with uh, anti-aging. Yeah, you know, what because I mean? I mean, a part of anti-aging is optimizing your hormone profile and balancing. That's part of anti-aging. But like, man, DHEA, yeah, and it's marketed as that. But uh, God, it's just so it's it's much more to that, man. Just taking yeah. one thing. I mean, I'll say this: like with a male taking DHEA versus mm-hmm. a female, like if both genders are taking it for the fact of like, I just want to increase my testosterone. Mm -hmm. That male is going to have a better opportunity of increasing his testosterone with like a higher dose of DHEA than a woman. Yep. Not saying that taking DHEA cannot help a woman's testosterone. It can, Mm -hmm. but we're going to favor, like women are going to favor more of that estrogen pathway Mm -hmm. than the testosterone pathway. So If I have a male come to me for hormonal issues, like I know 
hey, if you have low testosterone, I know I can put you on DHEA, yeah. and that shit's going to go up. But again, even then with looking at males, we are looking at the, we're looking at all the factors too. Mm-hmm. It's not just like I'm just blindly throwing this at you. No, at yeah. a, for a male too, I am looking at estradiol, estrone, yeah. liver, estrogen metabolism, mm-hmm. even their progesterone, their free and total test. Like I'm still looking at all of these things. Yeah. Um, and, and that like whenever you go to take a supplement that deals with the hormonal marker, check the damn hormonal marker first before taking something because people fuck themselves up. They get themselves into a situation by blindly taking something because they read it from a little fitspo on Instagram mm. who just took a little fucking, a little, mm, a little hormone course. And now they're a fucking expert. Yeah. Sorry. I triggered myself. <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh, save me. I lost my damn train of thought. Sorry. Um, All right. Well, let's let's do this. Let's talk. So jumping off of that, mm-hmm. let's talk about the dosing. Okay? okay. So for the individual who needs DHEA, we'll start with females first. So say we have a female. She has low adrenal function, mm-hmm. low DHEA. She needs, you know, she needs some support there for those yeah. adrenals. Um. I like what I would say is that dosing for her should be anywhere from five milligrams to 15 to 15, give or take. Yep. Um, I think the who's let me talk about this really quick. I know you're trying to talk about dose, but let me just kind of say this. Like, who who do I think would be the best candidate candidate can't even talk of use of DHA? Think about the woman that is. Um, maybe she's on the tail end of perimenopause going into full menopause, had labs done. Both estrogens are completely bottomed out or very low. Um, testosterone is very low and the DHEA from the adrenal marker is also low. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that would you have the best benefits of utilization of DHEA mm-hmm. because at that point you are basically almost hitting three birds with one stone. Because you're going to be able to, first of all, you can improve the resiliency of the adrenal function. Whichever way it's going to convert can be a possible benefit, right, in terms of it going to estrogen because their estrogen uh, is non-existent. And if there are getting a little bit of conversion of testosterone, there's not a large amount, especially in that part of their life, that they need in terms of testosterone. They don't need to go and try to have testosterone to the age of a 20 year old i hear that bullshit all the time and it's just stupid to hear that but um but in that case that's who the uh, like that's who the person that i identify with that would do really well with dhea now let's say that you have someone that has low dhea on their adrenal function they have low estrogen um but maybe they're not in those perimenopausal years right and if given an adequate amount of time to allow those things to come up because so maybe it's not an age-related thing and we've exhausted you know maybe a year of working on being out of a calorie deficit making sure we're eating good amounts of micronutrient foods we're not overdoing exercise we're at we're adamant about the recoverability of the body and things are still a little bit low or suboptimal there then utilizing that five or ten milligrams of dhea for a woman is is a good idea I mean, actually that, like, that was me. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, obviously I'm not in like the menopausal years or anything like that yet, but that was me. Like I was taking five milligrams of DHEA, um, because I needed that extra support, you know, especially from like a progesterone type of standpoint. Um, because we got to think too, the adrenals do synthesize progesterone. Mm -hmm. So it, it doesn't make it it synthesizes it. Okay. So that's why I took it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't take it anymore. Instead, I actually, now I take, well, I am dieting, so we have to keep that in mind. I'm in a caloric deficit, but I take seven keto DHEA. Yeah. Which isn't, doesn't convert to sex hormones. Nope. It's just full blown. uh, Um, sorry, I'm like losing my train of thought. Full-blown, like, thyroid function. Yeah, it helps You know, it's that. it's helping thyroid function. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, like, another thing there, too. 
um, that we also need to look at like, is it DHEA or is it seven keto DHEA? So yep. if you're someone where like, say you're dieting, hey, it might be a good idea to have seven keto DHEA or maybe your thyroid just needs some support and you're not dieting. Yep. That can be beneficial for thyroid function without the hormonal response. Yep, exactly. Um, now, for males, what would you say the dose for DHEA would be if they're having if they have low testosterone? I still start low because it depends on like again you have to look at the origin of why their testosterone is low. So like let's yeah, think about true. it this way: if they're overweight, if they have twenty or more pounds of body fat to lose, and they're they're not maintaining a good level of body composition, and their testosterone is low. Well, first, my first thing is, well, where is their estrogen at? Because are they aromatizing their testosterone to estrogen? And in that case, the risk factor of the problem is obesity. The weight, the body, the, the body adipose is the problem. Yeah. And so in that case, if I know that the body composition and so much accumulation of adipose is the primary issue, then again, I want to exhaust getting them into a better body composition and see if that fixes things. Because it's very different for male versus female in terms of that. Yeah. Okay. So, because a lot of times losing the weight might actually help testosterone naturally because it prevents the aromatization of it going to, to estrogen. estrogen. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because this is the problem that males get is that if they just jump on that, we're still kind of like blindedly taking it. And again, yeah, you're right. They're more predisposed genetically for that DHA to go to testosterone. However, if some of that is going to estrogen and the male is already estrogen dominant on paper and they're dealing with it, and you'll notice that by the way they carry their body fat, right? Around the chest, still around the hips, all Mid of that midsection, midsection, you know, yeah. then again, why would you take something that might just still be kind of putting a little bit of like gas on the fire and let's stop the aromatization from happening. And that sometimes what needs to be fixed before I use DHEA. Yeah. And I will, well, let me add this in here too. Like with the male side of things, like mm -hmm. with, like if they do have low test, higher estrogen, cause it's aromatizing. Yeah. If these guys are, um, if they also have thyroid issues, like again, let's like, and the body composition isn't in a good spot. Yeah. Let's drop the body fat, which is going to improve the testosterone, which is going to decrease the estrogen, which is going to, help improve thyroid function. Yep. So it's always good to kind of start with the dietary intervention. Well, first off, hold on, let me back up. It's good to start with labs. So you understand what what's going on, mm -hmm. what's going where, what's being impacted. And then from there, boom, dietary intervention, yeah. you know, dietary lifestyle intervention. Um, and then if there's any kind of like needed, like extra support, we'll throw in some supplemental support. Yeah. And so I just want to make sure that I'm on the same page with you. So like when you talk about like starting with lab, like if I am intended to use something like a DHEA, then yes, I do look at, I want to look at labs first, typically, mm -hmm. you know, um, or even if a male's like they reach out to me, I mean, cause I, I do work with males. Mm -hmm. Like I know I always talk like, Hey, females, females. Yeah. Um, it's just females are just, we're more complicated, a lot yeah, more moving more parts. considerations. Yeah. And males, they don't change. Like when a male comes to me, I'm like, yes, because it's, it's easier, like sure, yeah. <laughs> quote yeah. unquote easier. Um, but I like if they're, again, if they're like saying, Hey, I have low test. Well, that's what I mean by we need to look, we need yes. to see what's going on internally mm -hmm. and figure out, well, why do you have low testosterone? Yep. Maybe it's not even an adrenal issue. Again, maybe like you said, maybe it's a body composition issue that's actually playing into yeah. their testosterone. Yeah, aromatase enzyme where basically it's just taking their testosterone production and converting it to estrogen, making the pro the storage of the storage of adipose more efficient, which is what mm -hmm. we do not want. No. So, okay, so let's answer this question. Mm-hmm. How much DHEA would you say would be acceptable for a male? Like I know you said, hey, start off on the lower end. Yep. But what would the lower end for a male be? Would you say twenty five milligrams? Twenty five is typically twenty five to fifty is kind of a good a, a good like safe place if they're okay. Would like you if, say fifty is the higher end? Would you go any mm -hmm. higher than fifty? You can go up to a, like like would you say a hundred? Or just depends. So and this is going to depend, and there might be a different answer depending on who you ask. Mm -hmm. But this is my thought process. If 50 milligrams is not getting levels up high enough of where we want them, 
if we have to go all the way to 100 milligrams, is it the best use of method? You know what I'm saying? Like in that case, especially if it's primarily for like increasing testosterone in males, right? Now, it's a different story if we're looking at more of just adrenal function and there's no peripheral side effects like not aromatizing estrogen. Mm -hmm. If it's adrenal function, then... You know, I think 50 is, is, is more than you need. I don't think I've ever needed to see 100 milligrams. And in fact, no. if I've seen a, someone already taking, I, I haven't seen better benefits. Yeah. So at that 50 mark, I haven't seen like improved benefits past that. Well, I also think too, like if you have to go, like if the DHA isn't working, mm-hmm. you need to be looking at, you need to dive into lifestyle. You need lifestyle interventions too, because I mean, okay, again, I'm not saying like take DHEA, it's going to solve all your life's problems. There's still a lifestyle like factor to it. Like Mm -hmm. how much sleep are you getting? What's like, how is your stress? Do you manage your stress? Are you recovering? Because even for males, like I know we're always like females, recovery, recovery, recovery. Males is the same thing. Yeah. You still need recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's maybe not as much you still need that recoverability. And I, I think for like the males out there who sh- maybe struggle with like low testosterone, like they're out here running themselves into the into the ground. They're just like, oh, well, I'm going to train six, seven days a week. But it's like, dude, your testosterone's trash. You feel mm-hmm. like shit. I think, and this is can be a whole another podcast, but I just see males nowadays, regardless of age, whether you're 45 or 25, already just having very low testosterone. And I... Personally, I think it's coming from just I, not just food quality, but just I think like just xenoestrogens that are in like in things water, nowadays. Yeah, everything. Yeah, exactly. Fragrance. And I think that's why, because I mean, if you look at males, testosterone averages nowadays versus 20, 30 years ago, it was way higher. Like, back it was then. crazy high compared to that. And you think yeah. of like those types of things, too. Well, also like. Just like anything else. It's not else. that people are, I don't mean to cut you off, but it, and it's not that people are working harder nowadays. That's It couldn't be more opposite. No, you motherfuckers are lazier nowadays. Nowadays, well, people do less. Well, let's just say less. what it is. Yeah. But that's what I was going to say. Like, I think it's it's also like a, like technology and mm-hmm. convenience of what we have or have at our fingertips. Yep. It, it makes us lazy. Yep. And, you know, of course, if you're lazy, you're not out moving, you're not out doing the things, you have a shitty body composition. And as a result of that... You think your testosterone is going to be thriving? No. Hell no. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that's all I got on this. You yeah. got anything else on So, it? I mean, for women that are looking to take it, I think on a conservative dose is five milligrams all the way up to, if you're a peri or postmenopause that has everything bottomed out, I would say at the highest 15 Um and then for males, twenty five to fifty. I would. I've even had males do fifteen. It just depends. Yeah, but just remember the the biggest thing here is before you dive into a supplement that plays into a hormonal marker. Mm-hmm. Tests don't guess because you can like. It's a lot easier to catch it before you dive in than diving into a supplement and then you catch it later because now your body is kind of going sideways with. Like what it's 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 feedback mm-hmm. it's giving you. Yep. You know, because again, going back to the woman who's taking the DHEA, who didn't even check her her like estrogen levels, progesterone, all of that, and then you take it and you're driving up estrogen even more, and your menstrual cycles are getting worse, and yep. you're getting fatter, and you can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. You got to just do your homework. We got to be smarter about it, yep. and just be careful who you take advice from. Like again. The person out there who just did like one little rinky dink fucking hormone course and now they said they're a certified hormone specialist. Just be careful. Like uh, nothing against these people who are out here trying to learn it. I'm not trying to talk shit, but I guess for those people, if I were to give any piece of advice, know your scope before you dive into shit. Like, Mm -hmm. Don't be out here taking one little course and then thinking you're a fucking hormone specialist. Yeah, I think you're just understanding it completely, man. I think if it's you're... more complicated than oh, estrogen dominant. Like there's mm-hmm. the body is very very complex, and you you really got to fully understand mm-hmm. all the things. You got to understand the pathways. You got to understand like where things are going. Um, 
you know, and, and what do you need to do? How do you help people with that? Yeah. You know, not saying you got to be a damn doctor because mm -hmm. truth be told too, like, I think with coaches, it, it goes like either way. Like you have the coaches who don't know enough, but think they're experts, mm -hmm. but then you have the coach who knows a lot, but then they, they over, over complicate shit and they're yeah. putting out all this stuff. And it's just like, why are we talking so deeply? Yeah. Like, why are we going down this big, massive rabbit hole talking about something that we shouldn't really be talking about? Like, why are we overcomplicating something? Because, I mean, great. I'm not saying like this is like, you know, a very easy topic, like dealing with, you know, physiology is easy. It's not. You really, truly got to understand um, but I think some people can just take it too far, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know. It's kind of like you got to be in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that, that's how I see it. You got to be in the middle. You got to know what you're doing. I mean, I understand like to help people, like, especially in this realm, you sometimes just got to dive in, but truly know what you're capable of before taking someone on. Yeah, no, that's right. Or true. ask for help, you yep. know, um, and yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. I mean, I think we covered a lot. I think we've given a lot of good information in this. Yeah, I think so too. So anyway, I hope you all enjoyed this, uh, this episode. Um, and then of course, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, bitches, don't come to me. Um, let us know. And then if you're interested in running labs and doing a lab review with Gillis or myself, you can reach out to us. Or if you're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching, you can reach out to Gillis or myself, depending on which one you want to, you want to work with. You want to work with the fire, which we know who that is, or you want to work with ice. Which is you? I'm ice. <laughs> How am I ice? How am I not fire? Whatever. Yeah, don't open up this game. Whatever. We're trying to end the <laughs> podcast, not have a domestic dispute on a podcast. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, whoever you choose, whoever you feel is like a good fit for you, obviously, because you kind of get a feel for both of us on this podcast, you know, reach out. I have our, I'll have our information down below in the show notes per use. Um, but anyway, hope you guys enjoy this. And until next time.